This is the Cash Value Solutions Podcast, where your hosts, Jason Polmeyer and Kyle Mann, shed light on little-known money truths to help you take control of your financial future and become your own banker. Subscribe, rate, and review the show, and check us out at CashValueSolutions.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast this week. Kyle and I are back in the book review, and what are we going to be talking about today? Well, today we're covering creating the entity. Okay. And Nelson's talking about, first off, he starts with creating the life insurance policy, and then he goes into how you might design an infinite banking policy, right? Yep. Okay. So let's get started at the beginning. So it all starts with um, the actuaries who look at a mortality table. And they're looking at 10 million lives. And they're looking at people that have been through a screening process, selected lives. Yeah, they're not just going to select anybody off the streets. That's why you have to do a paramed to see if you're insurable. Right. The life insurance companies, before they put a policy in force, they're going to underwrite you medically and make sure that, to the best of their knowledge, that you aren't going to pass away in the next, you know, Anytime too soon, I guess, yes. would be the best way to say that. Yep. So they're working with the actuaries are working with the theoretical lifespan of 121 years. Um, and so that's kind of where they start pricing the product from. And from there, you know, that just gives them a baseline. After that, I mean... Once they have that, they can work off of that. You know, dividends and things are going to adjust mm-hmm. if the company's uh, results are more or less favorable than than what the mortality tables are telling them they should be. Yep. So that's how it gets started. And then what typically happens is it's purchased by somebody. And then what typically happens is in the life insurance world, People buy term, invest the rest. Maybe they don't invest the rest, but most often, I think, uh, term insurance is what people are, are looking at purchasing first anyways. Yeah. They may, they may transfer into permanent policies later on, but um, I guess for a lot of people starting out, term insurance is where they go to. Yeah, it's seen, it's seen as cheap coverage. Right. But, you know, that's part of the, the problem here. Um, we we purchase life insurance, and and don't get me wrong, there is a need for the life insurance for protection for your family if you have any debts, things like that. But we typically buy insurance at the time we're least likely to die. The life insurance companies know that because of the actuarial tables. Yeah, yeah. I mean, most people who are buying these term insurance policies. What one percent? Just just over one yeah. percent, I think, ever pay out. Yeah, I don't have a statistic. It differs on the years. Probably some years it's under one percent, and some it's probably you know two or whatever. Right. I don't have a source in front of me, but yeah, it's just over one percent. I know. I've mm-hmm. I've read that. So that's when people are typically purchasing life insurance, and the actuaries know that that it's not very likely you're going to pass away. So that's why term insurance is priced how it is it's very affordable yep okay so i need to back up a little bit i got ahead of myself with purchasing term life insurance first the rate makers have to price the life insurance and 
And they do that by looking at how much you could purchase the death benefit for in a single premium policy. You can still do that today, but it's not very common. But that's how they determine the cost of insurance, and then they work from there, okay? When life insurance first started, the only way that you could actually buy it was with term insurance. Mm -hmm. And, you know, perceptive people started to notice that, you know, we buy home insurance... Uh, you know, in case of a fire or vandalism or things like that, right, Kyle? Yeah. But the chances of that increasing over the years, you know, it doesn't, the chance doesn't increase over the years. Yeah. People realized, hey, we're paying for life insurance and the, the, it's more likely that I'm going to pass away the older that I get, right? Yep. Okay. And how you used to buy term insurance was with one year renewable term or yearly renewable term is what Mm -hmm. the industry called it. So the premium got more and more expensive every year that you owned the life insurance to the point where it got so expensive that you didn't purchase it anymore, right? Yeah. Okay. So life insurance, there was market pressure that ended up forming what they called ordinary life or whole life insurance. Mm -hmm. So that's how whole life insurance, permanent life insurance kind of came to be. And Nelson said that this mirrored more a banking entity than it did a life insurance um, policy. He said, you know, you should call it, what do you say? You should call it a banking... A banking system with a death benefit thrown in for good measure. Yeah, yep. And why does Nelson call it that? Look at the characteristics of what's going on when you pay a premium to a life insurance policy. Mm-hmm. The company then has to put that premium to work to deliver on to deliver on its future promise to pay you a death benefit. What do banks do when you deposit money? They lend it out, which is putting it to work. They're collecting interest, which is then you get paid a very minute interest on your own money that they used. Right. I mean, Nelson was just looking at the whole scenario and saying, you know, Nelson was big on classification, right? Because he was a forester. He's saying they classified this wrong. I mean, even though it is life insurance, you know, it it just has more properties of performing the banking function than it does life insurance now. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyways, getting getting back on track here, um, Nelson goes on now to kind of describe how you would form an infinite banking policy. Do you want to get us started on that, Kyle? Yeah, he has on page um, thirty-eight. He has a chart there that has um, the modified endowment contract line. Which once we cross that line, um, everything, all the growth becomes taxable. And so, what Nelson says, it's still tax deferred, though. Yes, it is tax deferred. Yes, but um, so Nelson says the way to do it is to buy ordinary life policy, and then use paid up addition, a paid up additions rider to snug your way up right up next to the mech line. Right. And it's really beneficial if you can look at a book as, as you're looking at this part, because this chart is, um, it's really a good visual key for you guys, but from left to right, uh, it goes single premium policies. That's what we talked about, how they determine how to price life insurance. Okay. Um, 20 pay life, or you could have like a 10 pay life even on this line, 
life paid up at 65, ordinary life, which would be like a paid up at age 100 or 121 today, and then term life insurance. Okay, the things that we started with on the left side, single premium, the further you go to the left, the more you accentuate cash value in a policy, which mm-hmm. is what we want to do with infinite banking, right, Kyle? Yep. Okay, so the problem with the single premium, as Kyle said, is it's on the wrong side of the modified endowment contract line. We don't have the tax favorability when we use the policy anymore. That isn't a huge deal, but if you can work with somebody to avoid that, it makes all the sense in the world to do it, right? There is some scenarios where you may want to use a modified endowment contract, but typically, now this isn't every case, but typically you're looking at people that are older. I mean, we're looking at 60s minimum, I would say. And then when we do want to use it, that stands for maximum efficient contract. Yeah. When we are max funding policies, the MEC line, you could think of it as maximum efficiency contract. I like that, Kyle. Um, But anyways, back to the single premium. If you blend that with ordinary life, single premium is what's called a rider, the paid up additions rider. And when you do that, you maximize efficiency, maximum efficiency contract, okay? You've accentuated cash value by doing that. Mm -hmm. Now, that's going to look different for everybody. And there is so much talk about policy design and what's right and what's wrong. Everybody's situation is different. Thank you. Everybody's situation is different. There is no one-size-fits-all policy. And and to be frank, the, the longer that you want to pay into a policy, you're probably going to have a bigger base on the policy. Yeah. Why is that, Kyle? Because you can typically fund policies for more years when you have a higher base. Right. You can fund them longer into the future before the policies get full. Yeah. And if, you know... If- if what you're looking for is more of passing on um, dollars to the next generation, it also can make sense to have higher base because in a shorter period of time, the higher base is going to give us more um, death benefit. Yeah, and, and you guys could also, I mean, see, this is, this is why we can't like just give our opinion on, on policy design because there's so many things that go into it, right? Mm-hmm. You know, if you're going to, fund it for a really short amount of time, which, okay, the common question is why do you only want to fund it for a short amount of time? But then you're probably going to have a smaller base on your policy. Yeah. Okay. And that's going to accentuate cash value growth in that early uh, time frame. And we talk about how, you know, we're against the one size fits all, you know, motto in the financial world for all financial products. And I mean, this goes with that. Like there is not one... There's not one policy design that's going to work for every single person. Yeah. And we're going to morph it to your um, specific situation so that it is the best for your situation. Right. And always remember, you know, you're, you have such a massive need for finance. You are not going to cover your entire need for finance with one policy. But we're going to build the first policy to fit your situation now, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we can't. I mean, we can do our best to plan for the future, but we have to work with where we are now and add that to the plan for the future, okay? Yep. We have to meet you at where you're at. Thank you. That's that's well said, Kyle. So 
the last thing, uh, well, there's a couple more things here, but Nelson mentions um, the story here of Christopher Columbus and how when he was um, on his journey westward uh, from Europe to get to the east, his, his destination was India. So when he, he unknowingly was, got to the Americas, he called the people that he saw Indians. Mm-hmm. Okay, he misclassified them because he just didn't realize where he was, right? Yeah, yep. Okay, Nelson says, okay, the misclassification of all these things happens every day in our lives, and it doesn't do any good for anybody <laughs> that we talk about things this way, right? Yeah. But it it adds a lot of confusion to our lives, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, so Words word, are powerful things, is what he says. Exactly. Words are powerful things, so... That's why we try to always get down to the root of what we're doing here with the whole life insurance, you know? Mm-hmm. This is more than just life insurance. Absolutely. So the, the last piece in this section, um, Nelson brings up his thoughts on universal life and variable life. And uh, long story short, he just comes to the conclusion that he would not use these policies to implement infinite banking in his life yeah and that's once again we're not just you know we're not saying they're horrible products or whatever it's a tool has its place and we will be having a in-depth podcast in the future on universal life for your education right and just to give you a little overview you know when you're using universal life v-u-l i-u-l um when you're using that to, uh, for cash value accumulation, the cash value has the potential to go backwards, okay? Because if the market doesn't perform and you still have insurance expenses that are re- increasing, right? That do increase. Um, you know, the the policy can go backwards in value. That is m- my own personal biggest reason why. I don't want clients using that to perform the infinite banking concept. Mm-hmm. If you're leveraging this policy, using it for banking and stuff like that, the last thing you need is to have something like Corona come along. You've leveraged your policy heavily, and now all of a sudden your policy has cash value growth that goes down instead of up. Yeah, and then your mask won't be the only thing that makes it hard to breathe. <laughs> Again, it's a tool. It has a place. We just don't like it for the infinite banking concept. Correct. Anything else before we get out of here, Kyle? No, I think we got this one wrapped up. Okay. Thanks for tuning in, guys. We'll talk to you next week. This was the Cash Value Solutions Podcast. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review the show. Check us out at cashvaluesolutions.com. And don't forget to tune in next week.